Book sixteen, chapters nine through twenty of the City of God. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Darren L. Slider, www.logoslibrary.org. The City of God by Saint Augustine of Hippo, Book sixteen, chapter nine. But as to the fable that there are antipodes, that is to say, men on the opposite side of the earth, where the sun rises when it sets to us, men who walk with their feet opposite ours, that is on no ground credible. And indeed it is not affirmed that this has been learned by historical knowledge, but by scientific conjecture, on the ground that the earth is suspended within the concavity of the sky, and that it has as much room on the one side of it as on the other. Hence they say that the part which is beneath must also be inhabited. But they do not remark that although it be supposed or scientifically demonstrated that the world is of a round and spherical form, yet it does not follow that the other side of the earth is bare of water, nor even, though it be bare, does it immediately follow that it is peopled. For scripture, which proves the truth of its historical statements by the accomplishment of its prophecies, gives no false information, and it is too absurd to say that some men might have taken ship and traversed the whole wide ocean, and crossed from this side of the world to the other, and that thus even the inhabitants of that distant region are descended from that one first man. Wherefore let us seek if we can find the city of God that sojourns on earth among those human races who are catalogued as having been divided into seventy-two nations and as many languages. For it continued down to the deluge and the ark, and is proved to have existed still among the sons of Noah by their blessings, and chiefly in the eldest son Shem. For Japheth received this blessing, that he should dwell in the tents of Shem. Chapter 10 it is necessary, therefore, to preserve the series of generations descending from Shem, for the sake of exhibiting the city of God after the flood, as before the flood it was exhibited in the series of generations descending from Seth. And therefore does divine scripture, after exhibiting the earthly city as Babylon, or confusion, revert to the patriarch Shem, and recapitulate the generations from him to Abraham, specifying besides the year in which each father begat the son that belonged to this line, and how long he lived. And unquestionably it is this which fulfills the promise I made, that it should appear why it is said of the sons of Heber, the name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. For what can we understand by the division of the earth, if not the diversity of languages? And therefore, omitting the other sons of Shem, who are not concerned in this matter, Scripture gives the genealogy of those by whom the line runs on to Abraham, as before the flood those are given who carried on the line to Noah from Seth. Accordingly, this series of generations begins thus. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was an hundred years old, and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad five hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. In like manner it registers the rest, naming the year of his life in which each begat the son who belonged to that line which extends to Abraham. 
It specifies, too, how many years he lived thereafter, begetting sons and daughters, that we may not childishly suppose that the men named were the only men, but may understand how the population increased, and how regions and kingdoms so vast could be populated by the descendants of Shem, especially the kingdom of Assyria, from which Ninus subdued the surrounding nations, reigning with brilliant prosperity, and bequeathing to his descendants a vast but thoroughly consolidated empire, which held together for many centuries. But to avoid needless prolixity, we shall mention not the number of years each member of this series lived, but only the year of his life in which he begat his heir, that we may thus reckon the number of years from the flood to Abraham, and may at the same time leave room to touch briefly and cursorily upon some other matters necessary to our argument. In the second year, then, after the flood, Shem, when he was a hundred years old, begat Arphaxad. Arphaxad, when he was one hundred and thirty-five years old, begat Canaan. Canaan, when he was one hundred and thirty years old, begat Salah. Salah himself, too, was the same age when he begat Eber. Eber lived one hundred and thirty-four years, and begat Peleg, in whose days the earth was divided. Peleg himself lived one hundred and thirty years, and begat Reu, and Reu lived one hundred and thirty-two years, and begat Serog, Serog one hundred and thirty, and begat Nahor, and Nahor seventy-nine, and begat Terah, and Terah seventy, and begat Abram, whose name God afterwards changed into Abraham. There are thus from the flood to Abraham one thousand and seventy-two years, according to the Vulgate or Septuagint versions. In the Hebrew copies far fewer years are given, and for this either no reason or a not very credible one is given. When, therefore, we look for the city of God in these seventy-two nations, we cannot affirm that while they had but one lip, that is, one language, the human race had departed from the worship of the true God, and that genuine godliness had survived only in those generations which descend from Shem through Arphaxad and reach to Abraham. But from the time when they proudly built a tower to heaven, a symbol of godless exaltation, the city or society of the wicked becomes apparent." whether it was only disguised before or non-existent, whether both cities remained after the flood, the godly and the two sons of Noah who were blessed, and in their posterity, and the ungodly and the cursed son and his descendants, from whom sprang that mighty hutter against the Lord, is not easily determined. For possibly, and certainly this is more credible, there were despisers of God among the descendants of the two sons, even before Babylon was founded, and worshippers of God among the descendants of Ham. Certainly neither race was ever obliterated from earth. For in both the Psalms in which it is said, They are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. We read further, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and call not upon the Lord? There was then a people of God even at that time. And therefore the words, There is none that doeth good, no, not one, were said of the sons of men, not of the sons of God. For it had been previously said, God looked down from heaven upon the sons of men, to see if any understood and sought after God and then follow the words which demonstrate that all the sons of men, that is, all who belong to the city which lives according to man, not according to God, are reprobate. Chapter 11 
Wherefore, as the fact of all using one language did not secure the absence of sin-infected men from the race, for even before the deluge there was one language, and yet all but the single family of just Noah were found worthy of destruction by the flood, so when the nations, by a prouder godlessness, earned the punishment of the dispersion and the confusion of tongues, and the city of the godless was called Confusion, or Babylon, there was still the house of Heber in which the primitive language of the race survived survived. And therefore, as I have already mentioned, when an enumeration is made of the sons of Shem, who each founded a nation, Heber is first mentioned, although he was of the fifth generation from Shem. And because, when the other races were divided by their own peculiar languages, his family preserved that language which is not unreasonably believed to have been the common language of the race, it was on this account thenceforth named Hebrew. For it then became necessary to distinguish this language from the rest by a proper name, though, while there was only one, it had no other name than the language of man, or human speech, it alone being spoken by the whole human race. Someone will say, if the earth was divided by languages in the days of Peleg, Heber's son, that language which was formerly common to all should rather have been called after Peleg. But we are to understand that Heber himself gave to his son this name Peleg, which means division, because he was born when the earth was divided, that is, at the very time of the division, and that this is the meaning of the words, in his days the earth was divided. For unless Heber had been still alive when the languages were multiplied, the language which was preserved in his house would not have been called after him. We are induced to believe that this was the primitive and common language, because the multiplication and change of languages was introduced as a punishment, and it is fit to ascribe to the people of God an immunity from this punishment. Nor is it without significance that this is the language which Abraham retained, and that he could not transmit it to all his descendants, but only to those of Jacob's line, who distinctively and eminently constituted God's people, and received his covenants, and were Christ's progenitors according to the flesh. In the same way, Heber himself did not transmit that language to all his posterity, but only to the line from which Abraham sprang. And thus, although it is not expressly stated that when the wicked were building Babylon there was a godly seed remaining, this indistinctness is intended to stimulate research rather than to elude it. For when we see that originally there was one common language, and that Heber is mentioned before all Shem's sons, though he belonged to the fifth generation from him, and that the language which the patriarchs and prophets used, not only in their conversation, but in the authoritative language of Scripture, is called Hebrew, when we are asked where that primitive and common language was preserved after the confusion of tongues, certainly, as there can be no doubt that those among whom it was preserved were exempt from the punishment it embodied, what other suggestion can we make than that it survived in the family of him whose name it took, and that this is no small proof of the righteousness of this family, that the punishment with which the other families were visited did not fall upon it? But yet another question is mooted. How did Heber and his son Peleg each found a nation, if they had but one language? For no doubt the Hebrew nation propagated from Heber through Abraham, and becoming through him a great people, is one nation." How, then, are all the sons of the three branches of Noah's family enumerated as founding a nation each, if Heber and Peleg did not so? 
it is very probable that the giant Nimrod founded also his nation, and that Scripture has named him separately on account of the extraordinary dimensions of his empire and of his body, so that the number of seventy-two nations remains. But Peleg was mentioned not because he founded a nation, for his race and language are Hebrew, but on account of the critical time at which he was born, all the earth being then divided. Nor ought we to be surprised that the giant Nimrod lived at the time in which Babylon was founded and the confusion of tongues occurred, and the consequent division of the earth. For though Heber was in the sixth generation from Noah, and Nimrod in the fourth, it does not follow that they could not be alive at the same time. For when the generations are few, they live longer and are born later, but when they are many, they live a shorter time and come into the world earlier. We are to understand that, when the earth was divided, the descendants of Noah, who were registered as founders of nations, were not only already born, but were of an age to have immense families, worthy to be called tribes or nations. And therefore we must by no means suppose that they were born in the order in which they were set down, otherwise how could the twelve sons of Joktan, another son of Hebers, and brother of Peleg, have already founded nations if Joktan was born, as he is registered, after his brother Peleg, since the earth was divided at Peleg's birth? We are therefore to understand that though Peleg is named first, he was born long after Joktan, whose twelve sons had already families so large as to admit of their being divided by different languages. There is nothing extraordinary in the last born being first named. Of the sons of Noah the descendants of Japheth are named first, then the sons of Ham, who was the second son, and last the sons of Shem, who was the first and oldest. Of these nations the names have partly survived, so that at this day we can see from whom they have sprung, as the Assyrians from Assur, the Hebrews from Heber, but partly have been altered in the lapse of time, so that the most learned men by profound research and ancient records have scarcely been able to discover the origin, I do not say of all, but of some of these nations. There is, for example, nothing in the name Egyptians to show that they are descended from Israel, Ham's son, nor in the name Ethiopians to show a connection with Cush, though such is said to be the origin of these nations. And if we take a general survey of the names, we shall find that more have been changed than have remained the same. Chapter 12 let us now survey the progress of the city of God from the era of the patriarch Abraham, from whose time it begins to be more conspicuous, and the divine promises which are now fulfilled in Christ are more fully revealed. We learn, then, from the intimations of Holy Scripture, that Abraham was born in the country of the Chaldeans, a land belonging to the Assyrian Empire. Now even at that time impious superstitions were rife with the Chaldeans as with other nations. The family of Terah to which Abraham belonged was the only one in which the worship of the true God survived, and the only one, we may suppose, in which the Hebrew language was preserved, although Joshua the son of Nun tells us that even this family served other gods in Mesopotamia. The other descendants of Heber gradually became absorbed in other races and other languages. And thus, as the single family of Noah was preserved through the deluge of water to renew the human race, so in the deluge of superstition that flooded the whole world, there remained but the one family of Terah in which the seed of God's city was preserved. 
and as when scripture has enumerated the generations prior to noah with their ages and explained the cause of the flood before god began to speak to noah about the building of the ark it is said these are the generations of noah so also now after enumerating the generations from shem noah's son down to abraham it then signalizes an era by saying these are the generations of terah terah begat abram nahor and haran and haran begat lot and haran died before his father terah in the land of his nativity in ur of the chaldees and abram and nahor took them wives the name of abram's wife was sarai and the name of nahor's wife milcah the daughter of haran the father of milcah and the father of iscah this iscah is supposed to be the same as sarah abraham's wife chapter thirteen next it is related how terah with his family left the region of the chaldeans and came into mesopotamia and dwelt in haran but nothing is said about one of his sons called nahor as if he had not taken him along with him for the narrative runs thus and terah took abram his son and lot the son of haran his son's son and sarah his daughter-in-law his son abram's wife and led them forth out of the region of the chaldeans to go into the land of canaan and he came into haran and dwelt there nahor and milcah his wife are nowhere named here but afterwards when abraham sent his servant to take a wife for his son isaac we find it thus written and the servant took ten camels of the camels of his lord, and of all the goods of his lord with him, and arose and went into Mesopotamia, into the city of Nahor. This and other testimonies of this sacred history show that Nahor, Abraham's brother, had also left the region of the Chaldeans, and fixed his abode in Mesopotamia, where Abraham dwelt with his father. Why then did the scripture not mention him when Terah with his family went forth out of the Chaldean nation, and dwelt in Haran, since it mentions that he took with him not only Abraham his son, but also Sarah his daughter-in-law, and Lot his grandson? The only reason we can think of is, that perhaps he had lapsed from the piety of his father and brother, and adhered to the superstition of the Chaldeans, and had afterwards emigrated thence either through penitence, or because he was persecuted as a suspected person for in the book called judith when holofernes the enemy of the israelites inquired what kind of nation that might be and whether war should be made against them achior the leader of the ammonites answered him thus let our lord now hear a word from the mouth of thy servant and i will declare unto thee the truth concerning the people which dwelleth near thee in this hill country and there shall no lie come out of the mouth of thy servant for this people is descended from the chaldeans and they dwelt heretofore in mesopotamia because they would not follow the gods of their fathers which were glorious in the land of the chaldeans but went out of the way of their ancestors and adored the god of heaven whom they knew and they cast them out from the face of their gods and they fled into mesopotamia and dwelt there many days and their god said to them that they should depart from their habitation and go into the land of canaan and they dwelt etc as achior the ammonite narrates whence it is manifest that the house of terah had suffered persecution from the chaldeans for the true piety with which they worshipped the one and true god chapter fourteen on Terah's death in Mesopotamia, where he is said to have lived two hundred and five years, the promises of God made to Abraham now begin to be pointed out, for thus it is written, And the days of Terah and Haran were two hundred and five years, and he died in Haran. 
This is not to be taken as if he had spent all his days there, but that he there completed the days of his life, which were two hundred and five years. Otherwise it would not be known how many years Terah lived, since it is not said in what year of his life he came into Haran, and it is absurd to suppose that in this series of generations, where it is carefully recorded how many years each one lived, his age was the only one not put on record. For although some whom the same scripture mentions have not their age recorded, they are not in this series in which the reckoning of time is continuously indicated by the death of the parents and the succession of the children. For this series, which is given in order from Adam to Noah, and from him down to Abraham, contains no one without the number of the years of his life. Chapter 15 when, after the record of the death of Terah, the father of Abraham, we next read, And the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, etc., it is not to be supposed, because this follows in the order of the narrative, that it also followed in the chronological order of events. For if it were so, there would be an insoluble difficulty. For after these words of God which were spoken to Abraham, the scripture says, And Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. How can this be true if he departed from Haran after his father's death? For when Terah was seventy years old, as is intimated above, he begat Abraham, and to this number we add the seventy-five years which Abraham reckoned when he went out of Haran, we get one hundred and forty-five years. Therefore that was the number of the years of Terah, when Abraham departed out of that city of Mesopotamia, for he had reached the seventy-fifth year of his life, and thus his father, who begat him in the seventieth year of his life, had reached, as was said, his one hundred and forty-fifth. Therefore he did not depart thence after his father's death, that is, after the two hundred and five years his father lived, but the year of his departure from that place, seeing it was his seventy-fifth, is inferred beyond doubt to have been the one hundred and forty-fifth of his father, who begat him in his seventieth year. And thus it is to be understood that the scripture, according to its custom, has gone back to the time which had already been passed by the narrative, just as above, when it had mentioned the grandsons of Noah, it said that they were in their nations and tongues, and yet afterwards, as if this also had followed in order of time, it says, And the whole earth was of one lip, and one speech for all. How then could they be said to be in their own nations, and according to their own tongues, if there was one for all, except because the narrative goes back to gather up what it had passed over? Here, too, in the same way, after saying, And the days of Terah and Haran were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran, the scripture, going back to what had been passed over in order to complete what had been begun about Terah, says, And the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, etc. After which words of God it is added, And Abram departed as the Lord spake unto him, and Lot went with him. But Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed out of Haran. Therefore it was done when his father was in the one hundred and forty-fifth year of his age, for it was then the seventy-fifth of his own. But this question is also solved in another way, that the seventy-five years of Abraham when he departed out of Haran are reckoned from the year in which he was delivered from the fire of the Chaldeans, not from that of his birth, as if he was rather to be held as having been born then. 
Now the blessed Stephen, in narrating these things in the Acts of the Apostles, says, The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Charan, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and come into the land which I will show thee. According to these words of Stephen, God spoke to Abraham not after the death of his father, who certainly died in Haran, where his son also dwelt with him, but before he dwelt in that city, although he was already in Mesopotamia. Therefore he had already departed from the Chaldeans. So that when Stephen adds, Then Abraham went out of the land of the Chaldeans, and dwelt in Haran, this does not point out what took place after God spoke to him, for it was not after these words of God that he went out of the land of the Chaldeans, since he says that God spoke to him in Mesopotamia. But the word then, which he uses, refers to that whole period from his going out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelling in Haran. Likewise in what follows, and thenceforth when his father was dead, he settled him in this land wherein ye now dwell, and your fathers. He does not say after his father was dead he went out from Haran, but thenceforth he settled him here after his father was dead. It is to be understood, therefore, that God had spoken to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran, but that he came to Haran with his father, keeping in mind the precept of God, and that he went out thence in his own seventy-fifth year, which is his father's one hundred and forty-fifth. But he says that his settlement in the land of Canaan, not his going forth from Haran, took place after his father's death, because his father was already dead when he purchased the land, and personally entered on possession of it. But when, on his having already settled in Mesopotamia, that is, already gone out of the land of the Chaldeans, God says, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, this means not that he should cast out his body from thence, for he had already done that, but that he should tear away his soul. For he had not gone out from thence in mind, if he was held by the hope and desire of returning, a hope and desire which was to be cut off by God's command and help, and by his own obedience. It would indeed be no incredible supposition that afterwards, when Nahor followed his father, Abraham then fulfilled the precept of the Lord, that he should depart out of Haran with Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son. Chapter 16 God's promises made to Abraham are now to be considered. For in these the oracles of our God, that is, of the true God, began to appear more openly concerning the godly people whom prophetic authority foretold. The first of these reads thus, And the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and go into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and magnify thy name, and thou shalt be blessed, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all tribes of the earth be blessed. Now it is to be observed that two things are promised to Abraham, the one that his seed should possess the land of Canaan, which is intimated when it is said, Go into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. But the other far more excellent, not about the carnal, but the spiritual seed, through which he is the father, not of the one Israelite nation, but of all nations who follow the footprints of his faith, which was first promised in these words, And in thee shall all tribes of the earth be blessed. 
Eusebius thought this promise was made in Abraham's seventy-fifth year, as if soon after it was made Abraham to have departed out of Haran, because the scripture cannot be contradicted, in which we read, Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. But if this promise was made in that year, then of course Abraham was staying in Haran with his father, for he could not depart thence unless he had first dwelt there. Does this then contradict what Stephen says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran? But it is to be understood that the whole took place in the same year, both the promise of God before Abraham dwelt in Haran, and his dwelling in Haran, and his departure thence, not only because Eusebius in the Chronicles reckons from the year of this promise, and shows that after four hundred and thirty years the exodus from Egypt took place, when the law was given, but because the Apostle Paul also mentions it. CHAPTER Seventeen. During the same period there were three famous kingdoms of the nations in which the city of the earth-born, that is, the society of men living according to man under the domination of the fallen angels, chiefly flourished, namely the three kingdoms of Sicyon, Egypt, and Assyria. Of these Assyria was much the most powerful and sublime, for that king Ninus, son of Belus, had subdued the people of all Asia except India. By Asia I now mean not that part which is one province of this greater Asia, but what is called universal Asia, which some set down as the half, but most as the third part of the whole world, the three being Asia, Europe, and Africa, thereby making an unequal division. For the part called Asia stretches from the south through the east even to the north, Europe from the north even to the west, and Africa from the west even to the south. Thus we see that two, Europe and Africa, contain one half of the world, and Asia alone the other half. And these two parts are made by the circumstance that there enters between them from the ocean all the Mediterranean water, which makes this great sea of ours. So that, if you divide the world into two parts, the east and the west, Asia will be in the one, and Europe and Africa in the other. So that of the three kingdoms then famous, one, namely Sicyon, was not under the Assyrians, because it was in Europe. But as for Egypt, how could it fail to be subject to the empire which ruled all Asia, with the single exception of India? In Assyria, therefore, the dominion of the impious city had the preeminence. Its head was Babylon, an earth-born city most fitly named, for it means confusion. There Ninus reigned after the death of his father Belus, who first had reigned there sixty-five years. His son Ninus, who on his father's death succeeded to the kingdom, reigned fifty-two years, and had been king forty-three years when Abraham was born, which was about the twelve-hundredth year before Rome was founded, as it were another Babylon in the west. Chapter 18 Abraham, then, having departed out of Haran in the seventy-fifth year of his own age, and in the hundred and forty-fifth of his father's, went with Lot his brother's son, and Sarah his wife, into the land of Canaan, and came even to Sichem, where again he received the divine oracle, of which it is thus written, And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Nothing is promised here about that seed in which he is made the father of all nations, but only about that by which he is the father of the one Israelite nation, for by this seed that land was possessed. Chapter 19 
Having built an altar there, and called upon God, Abraham proceeded thence, and dwelt in the desert, and was compelled by pressure of famine to go on into Egypt. There he called his wife his sister, and told no lie. For she was this also, because she was near of blood, just as Lot, on account of the same nearness, being his brother's son, is called his brother. Now he did not deny that she was his wife, but held his peace about it, committing to God the defense of his wife's chastity, and providing as a man against human wiles, because if he had not provided against the danger as much as he could, he would have been tempting God rather than trusting in him. We have said enough about this matter against the calumnies of Faustus the Manichaean. At last what Abraham had expected the Lord to do took place. For Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who had taken her to him as his wife, restored her to her husband on being severely plagued. And far be it from us to believe that she was defiled by lying with another, because it is much more credible that by these great afflictions Pharaoh was not permitted to do this. CHAPTER Twenty. On Abraham's return out of Egypt to the place he had left, Lot, his brother's son, departed from him into the land of Sodom, without breach of charity. For they had grown rich, and began to have many herdmen of cattle, and when these strove together they avoided in this way the pugnacious discord of their families. Indeed, as human affairs go, this cause might even have given rise to some strife between themselves. Consequently, these are the words of Abraham to Lot when taking precaution against this evil. Let there be no strife between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Behold, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself from me. If thou wilt go to the left hand, I will go to the right, or if thou wilt go to the right hand, I will go to the left. From this, perhaps, has arisen a pacific custom among men, that when there is any partition of earthly things, the greater should make the division, the less the choice. End of Book 16, Chapters 9-20 through 20. Recording by Darren L. Slider, Fort Worth, Texas, www.logoslibrary.org